We are in the book of Ezekiel tonight, and uh, we're going to finish our uh, series on the millennial reign. The millennial reign, thousand-year reign of Christ. Someone would say, wait a minute, millennial is not in the Bible. You're right. It's six times in the Bible in Revelation chapter 20. Millennial is a Latin word, which means 1,000 years. And so it's six times it's quoted in the book of Revelation that there will be a thousand-year reign of Christ. Now, people have a tendency, if they go to the Old Testament, if they don't understand it, they have a tendency to spiritualize it. You listen to me? Something you don't understand, you say, well, you know, we don't understand that. We'll spiritualize that. Now, if you try to spiritualize everything in the Bible, don't misunderstand me now. The Bible is a spiritual book, and it can be only understood by the Spirit of God. Don't misunderstand me. The Bible is a spiritual, revelational book. It brings revelation to our life. But it is also a book of truth and facts and historical facts. And it is a book of promises that are to come in the future. It is a book about the future, literal future. Amen? And so when you try to spiritualize everything in the Bible to try to make it fit your misunderstanding or inability to understand it, then you, you know, you're trying to put uh, all the nuts on the boat, and you, what what end up being is you'll be the nut on the wrong boat. Amen. You can try to spiritualize it. You know, we get like, look at that, look at that over there. There's a there's something over that 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 wall over there. What is that? Let's see. That is a veil. It's keeping us from seeing what's on the other side. Oh, on the other side of that veil is a portal into the next world. It's a window. Amen? It's a window. And so there are so many things that we need to learn. Uh, Of course, in the 20th chapter of Revelation, there is the thousand-year reign of Christ. And there's a reason why there's going to be a thousand-year reign of Christ. The number one reason is the Bible says so. But another reason is that King David has been promised to reign during that thousand years. King David, not just Jesus, but King David has a promise to reign in that thousand years. Also, Israel has never possessed the full um, promised land that God promised Abraham. Israel has never possessed the full promise of the land that God promised Abraham. You realize how big the land is that God promised Abraham and Israel? From Egypt to the great Euphrates River. They have never even come close to that ever in the history of mankind. In fact, they're not inhabiting it now. And just a little speck, a little red dot in a map, you'd see Israel and all the Arabian nations around it. And so... We're looking at something that is future, and the book of Ezekiel talks about future events and, and Ezekiel's temple, and we'll, we're going to explain some things about Ezekiel's temple tonight as well. But the first thing I want to do is bring you to a place in Ezekiel chapter 44, and we're going to read the first three verses of this chapter 44 in Ezekiel. Now... I don't have the time to teach or preach through the whole book of Ezekiel, nor am I prepared to do so. But I will say this, Ezekiel's easy to find. You got Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, and then Daniel. And we're looking at chapter 44. Let's stand for the reading of God's word. We're going to read three verses. Listen to these words very carefully. Then he brought me back the way of the gate of the outward sanctuary, which looketh toward the east, and it was shut up. Now, he's talking about the temple here, Ezekiel's temple. You say, well, who is he that brought me? That's the man that is in brass. He's a brass man. He's an angel. Many times, angels are made out of something more than flesh. They're they're made out of uh, metal and material. They're spiritual, yes, but they're made out of eternal things. 
And then said the Lord unto me, This gate shall be shut, it shall not be opened, and no man shall enter in by it. Because the Lord, the God of Israel, has entered in by it. Therefore, it shall be shut. But wait a minute, verse 3. It is for the prince. The prince, he shall sit in it to eat bread before the Lord. He shall enter by the way of the porch of that gate and shall go out by the way of the same. Now notice it does not say that this man shall eat bread, um, that it'll be the Lord eating bread by himself. It says there's a man that will come through that east gate, actually the porch area, and he will come in and he will commune with the Lord. There's a man that will come in. This is the temple, Ezekiel's temple. And at each gate, there's guards. There's, there's um, angelic-type guards that are watching over the gate. Actually, the temple of Ezekiel is a shadow, a, a very small model and picture of the new city Jerusalem that's coming down out of heaven. That's what it basically is. But notice that it says that a prince will come, and that prince will come through the east gate, actually not the gate itself, but the, uh, the porch area, will come through the porch area, and he will come in there, and he will have bread, and he will commune with the Lord. I guess the question I would ask tonight is who in the world is the prince? And we're going to answer who the prince is. You may be seated. I'm just going to do a millennial chat with you today. Now, I don't mean I'm going to chat for a thousand years. But we're just going to do a little millennial chat with you today. And we're going to talk about Ezekiel's temple. We're going to talk about this man that's called a prince. This is so incredible. This, this temple is actually one mile, actually a little over a mile square. One mile to the east, one mile to the west, one mile to the south, one mile to the north, one mile probably up. High place in the mountains of, of uh, Mount of Olives will be elevated according to Zechariah, and Ezekiel's temple will be built there. Around that temple will be like 60 miles of territory in which the priests and the Levites and the sons of uh, Kodak minister in. But anyway, uh, we need to understand this, this fact that there will be a temple. There, there's temple number one, which is Solomon's temple. Of course, the tabernacle was in the wilderness, but Solomon's temple is temple number one. Temple number two is Zerubbabel's temple. It has been been actually uh, remodeled and, and expanded by Herod, and it's called Herod's temple, the second temple, and that's the one Jesus Christ came to. Zerubbabel's temple, Herod's temple, was destroyed in 70 AD. And since that time, Israel has never had a temple. In fact, they've never had a king. They've never had sacrifice. Since the time of Titus the Roman destroying Jerusalem and the temple. They have not had sacrifice, they have not had uh, a king, and they have not had a temple. Israel's desire is to have a temple. And they want one really bad. And there's going to be a temple number three built, and it's going to be in the Great Tribulation. Jesus spoke of it in Matthew 24, the last days Great hellish times will happen. And the Bible says, according to Daniel chapter 9, Daniel chapter 7, that the um, abomination of desolation that Daniel spoke of, Jesus said that, that will be transpired in the temple. So Jesus Christ said himself, there would be another temple. It's not here now, but it's going to be built in the future, a temple. And they're going to start sacrificing again. The Antichrist will come. He probably will be involved in the erection of that temple. And in the middle of it, the abomination of the desolation takes place and Israel flees to the, uh, out of the city because wrath has come upon the land. Someone said, well, that's already happened. That happened in 70 AD. That already happened back in history with Nero, the seizure of Nero. 
No, nothing like this has ever happened in history. Nothing. There is nothing like this in history that's ever happened. When you read the book of Revelation, hailstones, 150 pounds apiece, nothing like that has ever happened. Locusts coming out of the pit, nothing like that has ever happened. Angels flying to the heavens, crying, whoa, 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 unto the inhabitants of the earth. Nothing like that has ever happened. Over six billion people die because of starvation, because of war, because of bloodshed. Nothing like that has ever happened. Why? Because it's future. It's called the Great Tribulation. It's called the wrath of God. It's called the book of Revelation, teaching what is going to happen. But we're going we're gonna to jump past the Great Tribulation and we're going to see Ezekiel's temple and ask why he built it. And we want to answer who this prince is that goes into the temple. The temple actually has four gates. The east gate shut. That's the way that the Messiah comes to the east gate. And, and because the Lord came through the east gate, no one can go through the east gate except this one special person, the prince. And that one special person can come into the porch of the east gate and he has to go out the same way. He's one special person that gets to come in and go out to have bread with the Lord. Some of you will say, well, that's the Lord having bread. Yeah, he's having bread with himself. Listen, God, I don't think that bored. Amen? So we're going to answer that question. But I want to, I want to look at Ezekiel's temple just a little bit, answer some questions that maybe are in your mind. And, and if you've read the rest of Ezekiel, like Jerry and some of the others have read, you'll notice that there's a stark um, uh, likeness to the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven. The only problem with that is, is the new city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven is 1,500 miles square and 1,500 miles up, and Ezekiel's temple isn't even close. There's never been a temple like this. There are people who say, well, the reason this temple has never been built is because God says this is what you could have had if you hadn't messed up. They want to interpret it that way. They want to be an all-millennialist. They want to say, well, there's no such thing as a millennial. God just says this is the way it should be, but you messed up, so you're not going to have it. Listen, there's a lot of, there's a, there's a lot of truth in man being Indian givers, but God's not that kind of person. A lot, of, a lot of truth in men lying, but God's not a man that he should lie. And God said it would happen. And I'm going to say Ezekiel was a true prophet of God. If he prophesied this and it didn't come to pass, then he's not a true prophet of God. I believe that Ezekiel is the true prophet of God. And so you know, there will be a, a, an Ezekiel's temple. And it will be high and lifted up in the mountains of Jerusalem. And there it will have four gates, and there it will have guards about those gates. But no one can come through the east gate except that special person, that prince. Now, someone would say, well, why would there be a, 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 an Ezekiel temple in the millennial, thousand-year time of peace? You need to understand that the thousand-year time of peace doesn't mean the earth is perfect. There'll still be sin during this thousand-year reign. There'll still be death. It'll be rare, but there'll be death during this thousand-year reign. The land will be productive and produce a lot of food, but there'll be those that will reject coming, as Zechariah says, every year to worship the Lord, and, and those that don't come, fine, you don't have to, you're just not going to get no rain on your crops. And during this thousand-year reign, the Lord Jesus Christ is going to require everybody to come to the, the superpower of the world. And the superpower of the world is where Jesus sits. The superpower of the world will be Israel. And Jesus will sit there in Israel, in Jerusalem, and he will rule the world. He'll be king of kings and lord of lords. Now, there'll be sacrifices in this temple. 
Now, that really blows people away because they say, wait a minute, why is there sacrifice? And, I, you know, I want to spend a little time here because it's important that you see why there's sacrifices. You could say, well, the sacrifices are pointing back to when Jesus died on the cross. And you can say, after a thousand years, people will tend to forget the cross. Thus, the sacrifices stimulates the reality of death, reality of sin, and will stimulate the appreciation for what Jesus Christ did once and for all upon the cross. That's a good, that's a, that's a good start. It is a memorial, like we do the Lord's Supper. It's a memorial. They offer lambs. And you say, well, I can't believe anything would be killed in the millennial. There'll be things die in the millennial. The curse will be lifted from the animals. But uh, let's get something straight right now. The animal sacrifice in Genesis 4-4 never took away Abel's sin. No animal has ever taken away man's sin. No blood of any animal has ever taken sin away. But if you hang on to that mentality, you'll not be able to understand why there'll be sacrifice in the millennial or Ezekiel's temple. The truth is, before the law, before Levitical priesthood, before the temple built, Solomon's temple built, before the tabernacle in the wilderness, before there was instituted the animal sacrifice, animals were sacrificed in the Garden of Eden. They were driven out from the Garden of Eden. And there was sacrifice in the time of Abraham, sacrifices in the time of Isaac and Jacob, but none of those sacrifices took sin away. The blood of animals cannot remove sin, nor did it roll their sin forward, as I've even said myself, and that's not true. It didn't pay the interest on our sin. I've even used that term, but that's not true. The, the blood of animals have no power to forgive or to roll your sins forward. The blood sacrifices of animals does not, cannot, nor will it ever forgive man of his sin. You say, well, why did God institute sacrifice of the animal? To show humanity how awful and how hellish your sins and my sin is. When they take that little lamb and they slice its little throat and that innocent little lamb dies, and that thing, that innocent little animal that, that has done no wrong to anybody and it bleeds and dies and the blood gurgles out of that little animal, you feel ashamed because it is your sin that causes that little animal to die. I wouldn't be surprised, but during the millennium, God won't gather his church together to stand around one of those sacrifices. And so I just wanted you to remember how bad your sin is, how bad your sins have been. It's a memorial. Not only that, but the sacrifice of animals was to purge the land. See, the land will still have the curse. A lot of the curse will be lifted. And I realized the ox will eat straw. The lion will eat straw like an ox. Scripture says the lion will eat straw like an ox. Death won't be gone because you want to know, I can prove that straw is just dead grass. So the, cur the curse is still going to be here during the millennium. The child will play with a snake. Shoot, I did that all my life growing up as a little boy. I played with snakes, not cobras, not poison ones, but I did play with snakes. But the Bible says that they'll be able to play with snakes, poison ones, and they won't bite. They'll just, you know, mom and dad will say, that's nice, sweetie. You got to play with the cobra. Isn't that sweet? Little Johnny got to play with the cobra all afternoon. The cobra was so fun. The cobra would just hiss, 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 and just hiss, hiss, hiss. And little Johnny just loved the hissing of the cobra. And the cobra just tuck his little tongue out and licked his little chin and made him giggle. Isn't that so cute? I mean, no, that ain't happened yet. But one day it will happen because God has promised a thousand years that they'll beat their swords into plowshares. There'll be no war. They'll learn war no more. Has that ever happened? Come on, let's be honest. Well, we're living in the millennial now. Really? I'm really disappointed. 
If we're living in the millennial now, I'm really super disappointed. Hello? Well, you know, it's going to come. The church is going to straighten everybody out, and then Jesus is going to come back because the church is going to make it perfect. Whoa. I pastored too long to know that ain't going to happen. We're not going to have peace until the Prince of Peace shows up, Jesus Christ. We're not going to see a thousand-year reign of peace and nations will learn war no more. And the nations will come to the city of Jerusalem to get advice from King Jesus. And they will be guided and directed by King Jesus. And King Jesus will rule the planet because he's King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And we'll rule and reign with him for 1,000 years. The church will have jobs to do. We'll be in glorified bodies so we can't make excuses. My back's out. Won't be able to to tell the Lord, well, my back's out. I don't think I can go. I've got a headache today. Lord, don't send me. You can't use that because you're going to be in a glorified body. Amen? But this, this millennial kingdom, this land will be beautiful. And Israel will inhabit that land from the Euphrates all the way into Egypt. That has never happened before, but it will. How do you know that? Well, we read the 12 minor prophets, and we discover that it isn't just Ezekiel and Isaiah and Jeremiah that speaks of this thousand-year reign, but it's also all the 12 minor prophets speak of it. So either all 12 minor prophets, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Isaiah are all false prophets, and we don't have a dependable book. But we do have a dependable book. See, if the Bible says it's likened unto, then we know it's spiritual. If the Bible says as it were, then we know it's not literal. But if it doesn't say that it's as it were or likened unto, then we should take the Scripture literally. Amen? I'm a literal Bible preacher. Now, you can go find you some sick church that just says, oh, those are not really chairs you're sitting on. That's just your faith. It, it just materialized under your, your blessed assurance. And God's going to tell you, you know, you can get a hold of some weirdo that tries to spiritualize everything. When we've got a book, we can read it. Amen? It's like taking your car manual. When you buy a new car and take your car manual. And your car manual says your gas cap is over here on the right side. There's a, there's a, and, and by the way, we still get to buy gas so far. And your gas cap's on the right side. And you've got to pull into the gas station. You've got to put the nozzle. Your manual says, and you, you're not going to believe this, but it's actually in your manual how to fill up your tank. And, you, and, and I'm thinking, okay, who needs a manual to know how to fill up their tank with, the, with a gas nozzle? And they pull up to the tank, and you take the nozzle out. You put it in the gas tank, you, you, the gas uh, hole. You pump your gas in there. What if you decide you're going to spiritualize that? Bless God, you don't have to go to the gas station. Bless God, you don't have to have the smell of gas on your hands. Bless God, you don't have to take that hose out. That's a symbolically, just drive past the gas station. Just get up close to it, and then fumes will rub off on your tank and fill you up because you'll feel good because you're by the gas station. Yeah, and you'll be walking. And you'll get the middle name idiots what you're going to get. Because you've got to literally pull up to the gas station, unscrew the gas cap, put the nozzle in the tank, and fill your gas tank, or you're going to walk. The Bible's pretty clear that there are some things we need to take literal. And so Ezekiel's temple is a literal temple. And there's going to be sacrifices offered. Let me explain here. It's not only a memorial, and not only to tell us how, you know, you got a thousand years. You take a thousand years, people will tend to forget the cross. We're not talking about Christians. We're not talking about the church. We're talking about people that are born in the millennium. And some of them are here when the Lord comes uh, at the end of the Great Tribulation. A lot of those children that grow up in the millennium know nothing about the cross. Oh, they've heard it preached, but they really don't know nothing about it. So Jesus Christ wants to make sure that they get a visual. 
And Jesus Christ has already proved that he would never die again. He died once and for all for sin. So Jesus ain't going to do it, but he's going to give you a visual. How many know God sometimes gives you a visual? And that's what the sacrifices are about. I got another good one that shows you why there'll be sacrifices in the, in the temple. Another reason there'll be sacrifices in the temple is because Israel never did get it. They never understood it. Some magical formula offering sacrifices forgave them of their sin. Sacrifices never forgave them. The blood of animals never forgave them. They never got it. And so I think the Bible doesn't say they're going to offer sacrifices for the whole thousand years. It just says they're going to offer sacrifices in the temple. It doesn't give us the time span. And I think those animal sacrifices will be a learning experience where Israel will say, oh, I get it now. It's not about the animal. It's about who the animal's pointing to. See, they need to be educated. And so there'll be these animal sacrifices in the millennium to educate the Jews because they never got it. If they'd have got it, they'd have received Jesus Christ. But they didn't get it. Because they didn't get it that the lamb pointed to the Jesus Christ. They didn't get it that the animals pointed to Jesus Christ. They didn't get it the innocent would die for the guilty. They didn't get it. So there's going to be a time of animal sacrifice in this thousand-year millennial reign so that the people will get it. That it's about Jesus Christ. That he is King of kings and Lord of lords. Amen? I'm glad I got it. I'm going to heaven because I got it. Amen. Who is the prince? Well, notice it's pretty cool. The prince goes in the east gate to the porch way. He has bread with the Lord. Then he comes out and comes out the same way. He's, how many would agree that's a, that's a really special guy? How many would agree that's a really special guy? The prince. Someone would say, well, the prince is Jesus because Isaiah said he is the prince of peace. Wrong. Because it doesn't say here this prince is the prince of peace. It just says he's a prince. Besides that, the prince of peace is not going to go in the temple and eat with the prince of peace. The Lord's not going to have communion with himself. Someone special is going to come into the temple, have bread with the Lord. So who is this special guy? What if I was to tell you that special guy is King David? King David is going to be resurrected from the dead. You say, oh, preacher, now, you, now you've got crazy on me. I want you to look at Ezekiel 37, 24, and 25. Ezekiel 37, 24, and 25. Notice what it says. And David, my servant, shall be king over them. And they all shall have one shepherd. They shall also walk in my statutes or judgments, and observe my statutes, and do them. And they shall dwell in the land that I have given unto Jacob my servant. There it is, a millennial reign. Wherein your fathers have dwelt. Once they dwelt there. And they shall dwell therein again, even they and their children and their children's children forever. And my servant David shall be their prince forever. Sounds pretty simple. Who's the prince? Verse 25, David shall be their prince. See, Jesus will be king, and David will be the king over Israel, or actually the vice president, as we think of it. And he'll have special privileges. You say, well, preacher, you still haven't convinced me. I, you know, I need more than that. You're going to have to get out of Ezekiel to prove that. Okay, let's go to Hosea chapter 3, verse 4 and 5. Hosea chapter 3, verse 4 and 5. Maybe you'll get it this time. Hosea is a powerful book. We went through the book of Hosea, by the way. Hosea chapter 3, verse 4 and 5. Here's what Hosea said about David. For the children of Israel shall abide many days without a king. Israel hasn't had a king since Babylon. 
The children of Israel will be many days without a king and without a prince. And say, what is a prince? A prince is the son of a king. And without a sacrifice, without an image, and without an ephod, Without a teraphim, you say, what is an image of ephod and teraphim? It is a false god. Did you know Babylon weaned the children of Israel out of worshiping false gods? God weaned them through the punishment through Babylon. Israel to this day does not worship false gods. They stopped when Babylon crushed them and God judged them. They don't have a king. Oh, they got someone that calls a prime minister, but they don't have a king. Verse 5, afterwards shall the children of Israel return. We're starting to see them return, right? 1948 started to return. They're still returning. He says, and seek the Lord their God. David, who? David, their king. Well, David, their king is dead here. What does that mean? That means David's going to be resurrected. David, their king. And shall fear the Lord, his goodness is in the latter days. What latter days? Yeah, you got it, the millennium. Go with me to Ezekiel 34, verse 23. If the light ain't come on yet, you're going to be dark the rest of the night. It's important, Ezekiel 34, verse 23. Through 27. This is probably a really clear cut statement about David. Look at verse 23 of Ezekiel 34. And I will set up one shepherd over them, and he shall feed them. Even my servant, who? David, he shall feed them, and he shall be their shepherd, and I, the Lord, will be their what? God, and my servant who? David, a prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken it, and I will make with them a covenant of peace and will cause the evil beast to cease out of the land. Who's the evil beast? That's the, the devil bound for a thousand years. And they shall dwell safely in the wilderness and sleep in the woods. And I will make them and the places around about the hill a blessing. And I will cause the showers to come in his season. There shall be showers of blessing. And the tree of the field shall yield her fruit. The earth shall yield her increase. And they shall be safe in their land. And shall know that I am the Lord when I have broken the bands of their yoke. And delivered him out of the hand of those that served themselves of them. Pretty simple, isn't it? I mean, we'd agree that that's pretty cut, pretty cut and dried. Stop and think about it. So what's going to happen after the great tribulation? I'm running out of time here. But after the great tribulation, when Jesus Christ comes in the clouds of glory with his church... As Enoch says in the book of Jude, he comes with 10,000s of his saints. When the Lord comes down to the Mount of Olives, stands on the Mount of Olives, and the eruption takes place, the earthquake takes place, the valley opens up, the battle of Megiddo takes place, Jesus assumes his position as King of kings and Lord of lords on the earth, a thousand-year reign will begin. The church will be with Jesus. The thousand-year reign will begin. At that time, King David will be raised from the dead. Let me, let me say something else. At that time, the Old Testament saints will be raised from the dead. Why? Because the Old Testament saints is not the same as the church. So the Old Testament saints are going to be raised from the dead, and that's when he separates the sheep from the goats. He sets up the nations. He sets up the, uh, decides who gets to stay and who doesn't get to stay uh, in Matthew 25, and he sets up his kingdom. Someone says, well, I thought the Old Testament saints rose from the dead at the rapture. Not so. The rapture of the church is for the church. It is not for the Old Testament. 
Now, you've got Bible commentators and theologians that says, no, they'll all be raised at the rapture. That's not true. And the reason it's not true is because nowhere in the Scriptures does it teach the mystery of the catching away of the church being an Old Testament event. It is a New Testament event. It belongs to the church. The dead in what? Christ shall rise first. We'll be made bodies like who? Like Jesus. So we're going to be caught up to meet Jesus in the air, a thousand-year great tribulation, uh, a, a seven-year great tribulation. We're going to be with Jesus Christ for, during that seven years, and we're going to get married to Jesus Christ. Now, somebody says, wait a minute. Isn't the Old Testament saints going to be there at the wedding? Well, they're there now. They're just not in their glorified bodies. They're there now. God's the God of the living, not the dead. They're there now. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are there now. Yes, they'll be there for the wedding. They won't have their glorified bodies yet because they have an Old Testament promise of the inherit, inheritance of Canaan land, the land of promise. And by the way, I believe our new, our, our glorified bodies that's going to be like Jesus, I believe, I believe that is our wedding gown. I believe that we are going to be really pretty. We're going to be gorgeous. Because the reason we're going to be gorgeous, we're going to look like Jesus. We're going to be bone of his bone, spirit of his spirit, blood of his blood. We're going to be like a husband and wife, one flesh. We're going to be one spirit with Jesus Christ, one blood with Jesus Christ. The Old Testament's not getting that. They're going to get their body later, according to first. Uh, Corinthians 15, God chooses what kind of body each one would have, but we'll have a new body. The Old Testament saints will watch that wedding, and I think one of the great beauties of that wedding will be we'll be in a glorified body that looks like Jesus. It'll be one of them beautiful. They say, whoo, that's a pretty bride coming down the aisle. It's pretty because that pretty bride looks just like Jesus in a glorified body. And there'll be a wedding. Jesus Christ comes back to conquer, and he does conquer, and he sets up a kingdom. At that time, the Old Testament saints are raised from the dead. King David, along with them, raised from the dead. And the new temple is built. The Ezekiel's temple is built. King Jesus is there uh, uh, ruling the world. And the prince, David, he'll be king or shepherd over Israel. Isn't that beautiful? He said, well, I thought the Old Testament saints, and, and I'm going to repeat myself a little bit, but I thought the Old Testament saints will be there at the wedding. They will be. you got to understand, they're not dead. They'll get their body later. But one of the spectacle, one of the most glorious events in heaven is going to be a host of church folks, the church that's in their glorified body. That's going to be flesh of his flesh, bone of his bone, blood of his blood, Jesus will be one flesh or one spirit, one blood with Jesus Christ. That's what's going to be glorious about it. You say, well, I thought Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob would sit at the table and, and have the great marriage supper of the Lamb. Yeah, but that's going to be at the end of the great tribulation. I believe that the marriage supper of the Lamb will be on planet Earth. And all the Old Testament saints will gather the guests will gather, and there'll be the reception of the bride and Jesus Christ. And, and after we have that great reception with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob around that table, then we'll go to work, and we'll be ruling as priests and kings on the earth after we have this great reception. Isn't that beautiful? And we're not going to have that great reception until the devil is bound for a thousand years. And in that thousand years that the devil's bound, we will have 1,000 years to rule and reign with Jesus Christ. Guess what? That's going to be our honeymoon. We're going to have a thousand year honeymoon. The church is. Only in this honeymoon, we'll be doing things. We'll be ruling and reigning with Jesus Christ. And King David is risen, and he has special privileges. Isn't that good? Now, don't tell me that this is all spiritual because it just won't fit. It's literal as well. God has literally promised Abraham Isaac a promise of the land. It will be fulfilled. And there will be a, there will be a thousand year reign. And then after the thousand year reign, the Lucifer is going to be turned loose for a short time. 
then God's going to fry him. I mean, it's done. And the earth's going to be melted with fervent heat. The heavens are going to explode. That's another reason I know the curse will not be gone because God's going to explode the heavens with fervent heat. Going to melt the earth with fervent heat. And you say, where are we going to be? We're going to be in the hands of Jesus. That's the best fire control you can have. Amen. I mean, that's the best storm shelter you can be in, in the hands of Jesus Christ. You say, well, where will we be? We'll be with Jesus. I don't know how he's going to do it. Do you know how God made everything? I don't, but he'll get it done. And heaven and earth be melted. There'll be a new heaven, a new earth. New heaven will be glorious. There'll be no sea, no ocean. The holy city of Jerusalem will come down out of heaven, and from the holy city of Jerusalem will come by the way, the holy city of Jerusalem is going to be the purification system of planet Earth. In other words, everything's going to flow through that city. Light's going to flow through that city. There's going to be gigantic waterfalls coming off of each four sides of the holy city of Jerusalem. And that water's going to fall where? Onto Earth. And everywhere that water goes, it's going to heal. It's going to deliver. And it's going to make lakes and streams. It's going to be glorious. You say, well, I read that in Ezekiel temple. Yeah, that's a model of what's going to be. Ezekiel's just a model. That temple's just a model of what's going to be. Now, let me give you something that's going to blow your mind. The Jewish people were offered an earthly inheritance, not a spiritual inheritance. We are a spiritual generation. The church has a spiritual inheritance. We will live in the holy city of Jerusalem. Abraham will be involved in royalty because he'll be one of the patriarchs and the monarchs of that day because he looked for a city whose builder and maker was God, which had foundations. So Abraham will have a prestigious place, but the church will live in that holy city of Jerusalem. And the lamb will be the light thereof. And the waters will come down. The sea will be gone, meaning there's going to be more land than you can possibly imagine. I mean, oh, God can make more land if he needs to. But just removing the water makes a lot of land because the earth is covered mostly with water. And so the oceans are going to be removed. Guess who's going to live on planet earth in the Garden of Eden atmosphere? Guess who's going to live on planet earth like Adam and Eve did at the start? They said, oh, there's no such thing as Adam and Eve or Garden of Eden. What? God's idea wasn't good enough for you? Who messed up God's idea? Did God mess up God's idea? Did God say, I'm going to make a garden of Eden, but it won't work? It'll never work? I'm just going to do this for trial basis? No, it worked. Adam and Eve <laughs> messed it up. One day, it will work again, and God will make a garden of Eden like Adam and Eve. And the Jewish people will live on the earth. And they'll have an earthly inheritance. In glorified bodies, yes, like Adam and Eve. But we're going to be in glorified bodies like Jesus. That's the future. That's the future. Isn't that beautiful? That's the future. Ezekiel's temple was so incredible. The 37th chapter of Ezekiel it talked about the healing rivers. Remember the water come out of the altar in Ezekiel's temple? Just a trickle, and then it began to roar, and it get bigger and bigger as it went, and it would go down into the Dead Sea. And when the water that came out of the altar of the, of the Ezekiel's temple touched the Dead Sea, it became alive. Fresh water began to plunge. Now, anybody knows this is true. If you pour more water in a Coca-Cola, it doesn't make more Coca-Cola. Hello? If you pour water in your gas tank, it don't make more gas. But yet this healing water that comes from the throne of God, from the altar of God, will go into the sea and it will make a fresh water. It will take a 35% salt solution and turn it to fresh water. That's the miracle river of God. And everything that, everything that river touches is healed. So much to the point that you can catch every fish out of, the, out of that dead sea that could be caught out of the Mediterranean Sea. That's, that's another reason I know the Millennial Temple is not the future of the uh, new city of Jerusalem because there'll be no sea in the new city of Jerusalem. 
Question, has the Dead Sea ever been fresh? Have we ever seen all the rivers? Have we ever seen every hole a good fishing hole? Have we ever seen that? Have we ever seen the land bring forth production without any problem? Have we ever seen no, no war, no strife on earth? No, we have never seen that. So don't, don't you dare spiritualize that because it can't be spiritualized. It will literally happen. And so God's going to make it work. There'll be a Garden of Eden. Ezekiel says they'll return to the Garden of Eden. There'll be a Garden of Eden. There will be. God didn't mess up the first time. He knows what he's doing. And the children of Israel were given. You say, well, God's respect a person. No, he's not. God's not a respect a person. You get close to God, and God's going to bless you. You don't get close to him, you're not going to get the blessing. Abraham was a friend of God. Abraham was buddies with God. Now, don't tell me David was a man after God's own heart. David was a buddy with God. He, he was God's buddy. Don't tell me that buddies don't get privileges. They do. Not because God's partial, but because God rewards faithfulness. Isn't that beautiful? So David gets to go into the east gate. Nobody else can go there, bless God, because he's the king of Israel. He's the prince. And he has communion with the Lord. Oh, I got to take you one more place. Run out of time. The last verse of Ezekiel. The last verse of Ezekiel. Did you know Jerusalem's going to get a new name? Did you know the city of Jerusalem's not going to go by Jerusalem in the future? Has that ever happened before? Well, if that's never happened before, then this has got to be literal. Go to the last verse in Ezekiel. The very last verse. Jerusalem's going to get a new name. Verse 35, Ezekiel. It was round about 18,000 measures. The name of the city, this is Jerusalem, from that day shall be the Lord is there. The Lord is there. The city of Jerusalem will be called the Lord is there. To pronounce that is Yahweh Shammah. That's going to be the name of Jerusalem. Yahweh Shema. Let's go to Yahweh Shema. The king reigns in Yahweh Shema. That's never happened before, but one day it will. Jerusalem will be renamed Yahweh Shema, meaning the Lord is there. And the whole world, whether in Russia or whether in China, whether in America, the whole world will say, uh, the Lord's there. Yahweh, Shema. Let's go to Yahweh, Shema. Someone says, oh, you mean Jerusalem. No, I mean Yahweh, Shema. The Lord's there. Amen. I have the hardest time convincing people that St. John's is still St. John's. I grew up when it was St. John's. I tell people, I went to the doctor here a while back. It's been a while back. And, and he said, have you ever had any scans? I said, yeah, I had some at St. John's. He looked at me and said, where? I said, St. John's. I tell him, Sunshine. St. John's? I don't think I've ever heard of that hospital. I said, well, it's been around forever. Where are you from? He said, Minnesota. I said, well, it's St. John's. And the nurse spoke up and said, he's from around here. That's mercy. And I said to the doctor, I've been there, and there's no mercy there. But that's the way the Hebrews are going to do it. They're going to say, Jerusalem. And no, they're going to say, no, it ain't Jerusalem. It's Yahweh Shema. The Lord is there. You see, the Lord's not there right now, but he will be there. And he'll sit on the throne 
of Jerusalem ruling the world. It will be the superpower of planet Earth during that millennial reign. Isn't that beautiful? And of course, Ezekiel kind of points to the typology of the new city of Jerusalem that's coming with the trees that produce every month for fruit and with the rivers and touching everything and healing. The only problem with that is the scale of Ezekiel's temple isn't even close to the scale of the new city of Jerusalem. Amen? What if I was to take that shoe, that shoe box, that, that tissue box, and, and make me a model of, of uh, I don't know, some, some big cathedral? Make me a model of the, the, the dome or something. And I, make it, and I say, that's, 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 uh, that's the dome, that's the moss. He said, that ain't the dome, that's not the moss. Not big enough to be the dome of the moss. He said, well, it looks just like it. Mold it around. Looks just like it. That's, well, that's Ezekiel. He's showing a picture. This same Ezekiel laid on his side toward the north for, I don't know, something like 30 days, turned around and laid on his other side to the, to the south, something like 30 days, and he was trying to say to the north and the south, Judah and Samaria, that God's going to judge you. So Ezekiel used a lot of types. But what's beautiful is the thousand-year reign is a follow-up to what's coming to earth. I love that. You say, well, I don't believe the earth will be inhabited forever. I don't believe the earth's going to, you know, no, no sea, no ocean. People are going to live. They're going to have babies. They're going to be like Adam and Eve. And I don't believe that. Well, what's the matter? God's plan wasn't good enough? Think about what I'm saying. Come on. With a, with, just with an honest, intelligent thought right now, think how unreasonable that is when you think it's not going to be that way. God made it. It will work. The only thing that interrupted it was us. And it will work. Isn't that good? Because that isn't portals to a new world. Nor is that a veil so you can't see your way out of this building because the preachers went too long. That's a window. Amen. Stand with me. We're going to give an invitation. I hope you enjoyed tonight. I hope I thoroughly convince you that David's coming back, going to be resurrected. He's going to be resurrected. He's going to be the prince for a thousand years. You say, well, why would God let David rule for a thousand years over Israel? Because he promised David that. He promised David that. A promise is a promise. We're not talking about promises will be are like pie crust made to be broken. We're not talking. We're, we're, not, we're talking about God who never lies. He's not a man that he should lie. God promised that. And every promise that God ever made, he's going to keep. And when you read the minor prophets, all 12 of them refer to this. When we get into the book of Revelation, Sunday morning, we're going to be looking at some minor prophet statements that will just absolutely set your soul on fire with the blessed goodness of God. Amen. What a wonderful God we serve. So I want to invite you. If you don't have that peace in your heart, Jesus Christ can give it to you. If you don't have that life in your soul, Jesus Christ can give it to you. You don't, you don't have to spiritualize everything. God wants to bless you materially as well. God wants to be a great God to you, physically, mentally, spiritually. God wants to heal your body. He wants to bless your life. He wants to encourage your life. He wants to give you prosperity and strength. God is a God of not only spiritual blessings, but God is a God of material blessings. You say, well, if it's material, it's not God. Who do you think made material? God. God's not opposed to material things. He's the God of creation. And he'll bless your life. All is open.